Hello and welcome to iBiology, the podcast revision that should not be your only resource. Please go listen to Mr. Dunn as well. However, <laughs> if you do want to learn along with us, uh, the materials we're using are the IB Oxford Study Guide, the textbook and my notes. Today we're going to be looking at Unit 1, Cell Biology. And the basic format of this is that I'll be explaining things and then I'll and then Matilda will ask questions and I will try my best to answer them. Yay. Right, Matilda? Mm-hmm. Okay. So um I guess first part of the unit is just cell theory. Now cell theory is very simple. It is just the idea that hum uh well all living matter is made out of cells, it's the smallest unit of life. And that cells are generally quite small. <laughs> it's all very basic stuff, but you know, it's things you gotta know. Um, and yeah, there's a, there's one nucleus in a cell, although there are exceptions which we do have to know. So, for example, um, skeletal uh, muscle, the muscle fibers, they're technically a cell, but they are multinucleate, meaning that they have more than one nucleus. And occasionally, there's also giant algae who are actually quite big 10 centimeters and they even though they're only one cell the reason why cells are usually so small is because we want a high surface area to volume ratio and i'm sure you can make a drinking game out of this podcast where you drink every time we mention surface area to volume ratio because it comes up a lot the idea that because the more volume you have the more needs to, uh, the more supplies you need but you can only absorb supplies by the amount of surface area you have and so when you grow larger, because your volume expands more quickly than your surface area does, eventually you won't have enough surface area to, like, mm-hmm. get in and... Yeah. Um, Why don't all cells then just look like villi? Or, like, microvilli? Well, because you have to also uh, remember that they you want to still pack them efficient. Like, not all of... Uh, like, the villi are also because their main function is absorption. Right. Um but for example sometimes you want to be able to pack them efficiently and when sometimes it's just cell to cell it does make a lot of sense to want to absorb as much stuff as possible for example with the skeletal muscle kind of a very big part for them is to be able to hold together strongly yeah true. Uh, we'll be talking about this later probably this episode about um speciation like specification specification yeah (laughs) speciation that'll come (laughs) way later in the uh genetics biodiversity stuff um then otherwise the first page of the guide also talks about drawings in biology difficult to do in an auditory medium (laughs) so yeah uh yeah then unicellular multicellular organisms so basically one thing that we can easily divide different um organisms into is prokaryote and eukaryote. Now, uh, prokaryotic cells, they're generally more... Well, first of all, they're generally smaller. They have... And they just are different. Some of the main differences between the two, this is a common question on exams, compare prokaryotic and eukaryotic cells, are that they have 70S ribosomes versus 80S ribosomes, in case you didn't know. 70S is is a signifier for size, S is a unit. I forget what it stands for, and we don't need to know that. (laughs) But yeah, basically, they have smaller ribosomes, and also they uh, have a single circular naked piece of DNA. They, meanwhile, for... Uh, for other 
for the eukaryotes, they're membrane-bound, the organelles. Meanwhile, the prokaryotes, it's just kind of like all one big soup swimming in there. Um, in that soup, we also have some plasmids, which are circular pieces of DNA. We'll come, uh, we'll come back to that later as well. Um, that basically they contain genes that can also be passed along across a generation, not just when you inherit things. Then, I mean, yeah, they also have cytoplasm, they have a cell membrane, they have a cell wall made of protein. This is important because that differentiates them from plant cells. Plant cells have also, also have cell walls, but the cell walls are made out of cellulose, not protein. Mm. So that's kind of how we can differentiate between animal cells, plant cells, and uh, prokaryotic cells. They also have a capsule, which is for protection. Do they always have a tail thingy? And I don't believe so. I don't think they always have a flagella. They are, uh, the, fl like, the flagella can help them move, but they also have other options for movement. Um, then there's also pili for attachment and reproduction. And like I already mentioned, the, singular, the single circular naked DNA strand. Uh, which is for inheritance, prote uh, the making of proteins. Don't worry, we will get into that with way too much detail later. You will know a lot of things about DNA that you really don't care about. Um, yeah, they reproduce mainly via binary fission. How does binary fission work? It's basic. Uh, it's basically just... I don't think we actually know that. Need to know that. Um, sure. I think we had that in a test once. But anyway, yeah, it's it's basically just that uh, I believe it's just that the DNA uh, the DNA replicates itself and then they split. It's in the textbook. I just found it. Yeah, they divide by uh, they <laughs> divide by uh, binary fission. Wonderful. <laughs> okay, um, so I think I think that's basically it for prokaryotes. Just it's 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 good to look at a diagram. I luckily have a diagram from when we took this these notes. <laughs> Um, so, but then, the thing is, we're obviously not all single-celled organisms, and we are also eukaryotes. The thing is, with multicellular organisms, you still get some of the advantages of the high surface area to volume ratio, and you can also get a lot bigger. And, more importantly, you can get emergent properties, because cells can differentiate, and thus have different jobs. It's like, kind of, it's, it's basically, you can compare it to a company that, sure, you can have a one-person business where you do the marketing, you do the production, you do the um, you do basically all of the jobs. Or you can have a company where someone is responsible for marketing, someone is responsible for, like, writing text on your website, someone's responsible for bug fixing and stuff like that. And you can be a lot more efficient with that. So prokaryotes are always unicellular? Uh, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so that's and those are called emergent properties and the idea that some cells are only there for something very specific that is called differentiation the important thing about differentiation what you really need to know is that every single cell in your body has your entire genome <laughs> when they differentiate that doesn't mean those genes are gone they just don't express them this is kind of like if every single piece of IKEA furniture that you got came with the manual for all the IKEA furniture, but you only have that part. You're not throwing away the rest of the manual. You still have that. You're just looking at the one specific part to build that one cell. All right. Nice. So, um, I mean, it, the study guide gives two examples here. One is the heart muscle tissue, which obviously it's... Uh, 
like there's a lot of interlocking uh, parts there it's long generally <laughs> or pancreatic islet beta cells which have a lot of vesicles for insulin to secrete that another example that i remember we got was that livers they have a lot of i believe uh, yeah they have a lot of smooth endoplasmic reticulum we're gonna get into that in a bit um and uh, which is for detoxification and because obviously livers mm -hmm. work mm -hmm. to detoxify things they need the liver cells need a lot of smooth endoplasmic reticulum so for example if you then if you're on a test and you suddenly see a liver cell and then it, you might see that there's a bunch of that in there and they might ask you to be like hey what is this yeah okay so important for also differentiation are stem cells now stem <laughs> stem cells they basically they can differentiate into every uh, into anything they want they have the potential to be anything and anyone the problem is sometimes when if you know have this liver cell or if you have for example the heart muscle tissue the heart muscle tissue can divide and suddenly become a liver cell it's already chosen this path it can suddenly go back um meanwhile stem cells they have the potential to do anything mm -hmm. now the thing is that there's different types of stem cells uh, the most potent ones are embryonic stem cells. So, um, once in, uh, yeah, embryonic uh, uh, stem cells, they're, they can divide very rapidly. They have a lot of differentiation potential. They can also easily form cancer. Hey. Yeah, I'm just going to quickly check my notes to make sure I don't get anything wrong here. But the thing is, with adult stem cells, we, we still have stem cells in our body, obviously. We need things to be able to differentiate. But the problem is that we're unable to uh, uh the problem is that wait let me gather my thoughts um but they're not quite as potent so for example when we but why are they not as potent i wait i'm trying to see if that's in my notes so i don't da, 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 da. um so the comparison of stem cells so embryos uh you obviously you have to get, uh, so we can compare them by the ease of extraction um, the growth potential and the tumor risk mm. so and also the ethics which we're going to get to in a bit so these of extraction the thing is from embryos uh, well we can get them from in vitro fertilization programs IVF uh, from excess embryos uh, but and they have unlimited growth potential because you know beginning of the life they need to be unlimited in growth potential and they also have a high risk of tumor development and why why is the tumor development risk because they have unlimited growth potential. Mm. Because when they're able, when they replicate this often, the chance that there will be a mutation sometime along the way is way higher. We're gonna get to tumors also in a second. Um, and then in both adult, uh, and then there's also cord blood, so from the umbilical cord, um, it's easily obtained and stored. But however, it is limited unless we suddenly go to hospitals and steal the umbilical cord of every single pregnant woman. Um, mm. But both for adult and uh, adult stem cells and cord blood, the growth potential is reduced and the tumor risk is lower. Uh, on more info, I believe is on page fifteen of the textbook. At least that's what it's written here. Um, there yeah. we go. Um, but the uh, the thing is, and with adults, one of the issues is also ease of extraction. It's kind of difficult because they're deep in the tissue. So, for example, we're going to get to that in a bit. Uh, in leukemia, it's leukemia is a type of cancer where an abnormally large number of white blood cells are produced in the bone marrow. <laughs> um, so, and if you want to, uh, if you want to cure that, one way is that a large uh, that 
a large needle has to be inserted into a large bone, usually pelvis, and then the fluid is removed from the bone marrow. But obviously, oh. you first got to get a large needle to do that. And so it's a lot harder to extract uh, stem cells from adults. And then we get to the ethics part. <laughs> and the thing is, uh, without getting political here, into pro-life or choice debates, uh, early, <laughs> um, uh, obviously you have with embryos, some people think that it's unethical to kill an embryo because for them that is a human life. But however, then embryos lack a nervous system, they do not feel pain throughout it. With adults, it's less di- with adults and core blood, it's less difficult because obviously adults can give consent and the umbilical cord will be removed anyways. Um, so, the but however, obviously, why do we use stem cells? Therapeutic use, yay. For example, uh, I just mentioned leukemia, where you extract the stem cells from the uh, from the fluid and you're stored by uh, and they're stored before absolutely just chemotherapying the uh, the person getting uh, to get all of the um, tumor cells tumor cells away and then putting uh, the stem cells back at which point they can be re- reestablished into the bone marrow multiply and become um, specialized specialized again uh, star star guards macular dystrophy it's basically something that, in very simple terms, makes you not see good. Um, more specifically, in the retina, it there's a membrane protein used for active transport in the retina cells malfunctions, so we have issues with properly perceiving the light. Um, and the thing, uh, and apparently in 2010, a woman in her 50s with Stargardt's disease was treated by having 50,000 retina cells derived from embryonic stem cells injected to her, into her eyes. Uh, and it didn't seem to have any bad side effect side effects, and her vision improved. Wow, nice. So, yeah, that's the thing. Yay, nice. We can ha- have that. But as as we're on stem cells, let's um, get into cancer. Have we talked about eukaryotic cells yet? Um. Upon reviewing the documentation, it seems that the tumor formation is at the end of the unit, so I guess we're going to do that one later. <laughs> do we plan any of this out? No. no. <laughs> um, okay, then the next thing is about light microscopes and drawing skills. <laughs> I mean, there's uh, you need to know how to do basic magnification cal- uh, calculations. It's pretty simple. The magnification is the size of the image over the size of the specimen. Yeah, just do some practice questions if you're uncertain with that. It's relatively simple to figure out. Calculations in biology are really not that difficult. <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, there's the idea that electron microscopes allowed us to really look into... The details. Yeah, so we can uh, so we can properly see what's going on um, in comparison to light mis- microscopes, which, well, like, while they're okay, I mean, you've used them in class, like... We can't see the organelle specifically a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. So, um, eukaryotic cells. Now, um, yeah, <laughs> they, uh, they're a bit more complicated than prokaryotic cells. And the thing is that... Just to make sure, our ent- entire body is made out of eukaryotic cells? Yes. Okay. Like, 
you have to this is they're an entirely different kingdom right wait no not even kingdom they're, they're an entirely different domain oh. like they're far away far away <laughs> um and also just to get back to the binary fission uh, it, seem, it simply means splitting two uh, two chromosomes replicated there are two identical copies they pull apart there's two of them now so basically my explanation of they just split into wasn't really that far-fetched for prokaryotes yes for prokaryotes eukaryotes it's a bit more complicated and we're going to get to that in a second or not in a second but <laughs> after after we talk about organelles because there's a few of them so cells cells the made of organelles try to pull a fast on the cytoplasm gels <laughs> um so the yeah let's let's just start in the way that they're listed here First of all, organelles with a single membrane. So some have single membranes and some have double membranes. However, all the organelles are membrane bound. In comparison to the prokaryote, what? where they just all float, yeah, they all have a, they all have a membrane. The reason for that is because it allows them to perform a specific function for themselves. Wait, some are me- some some have membranes and some are membrane bound. No, some have single membranes and some have double membranes. And what has membrane bound? Membrane bound just means they're bound in a membrane. Ah. So they're all membrane bound. Yes, in ah. eukaryotic cells. In eukaryotic cells. Yeah. Prokaryotic cells, no membranes. Eukaryotic cells, yes, membranes. Also <laughs> called membrane bound organelles because they're bound in membranes. Nice. So, um, the fir- uh, so first, let's go. Let's just go through them one by one. Rough endoplasmic reticulum. So. Also called R E R. Yes. <laughs> um. Da- there we go. Rough endoplasmic reticulum. So, uh, it's base. So, to quote my notes, it's a network of membrane membranous tubules and sacs called cisternae. Ew. <laughs> so, the, the thing is, if you look on any picture of a cell, you'll see the endoplasmic reticulum is very folded, very aggressively folded <laughs> yes uh, the difference between RER and SER smooth endoplasmic reticulum is the fact that there's ribosomes on the rough endoplasmic reticulum the reason for that is that their job is to synthesize proteins and the reason why they're so weirdly bound is because we want to have as many ribosomes as possible to synthesize the maximum amount of proteins surface area to volume ratio because we'd only have a, a little bit of volume and why don't the ribosomes just float around happily? Why is the RER necessary at all? Post production, Helen chiming in here. This was the point where I think I went about on a one to two minute of um um I don't know uh wait what. Um, we discussed this later in the episode. Don't worry, I figure it out. Um, just know that that was what was originally here, and that I'm gonna answer that question in a couple minutes' time. So then we also have smooth endoplasmic reticulum, uh, but and while they they're not covered in ribosomes, they do have proteins within their surface. So they um, are like we already said, they detoxify poisons, they metabolize carbohydrates, and they synthesize lipids. The so, proteins. Uh, the the proteins in their surface in the of, of the, the smooth mm-hmm. endoplasmic reticulum. All right. So RER is made is used for protein synthesis, basically. I mean, yeah, the the ribosomes on the RER proteins and the SER is used for detoxification, Lip, lipid, uh, the metabolization of lipids and the synthesization 
Okay. Oh, synthesis. Synthesis of lipids. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is a biology podcast, not an English podcast. Um, then the Golgi apparatus. They uh, have a cis and a trans face. And basically the idea is that their main uh, part point is to manipulate, modify, and package proteins. Nochmal. They manipulate, modify, and uh, package proteins. So okay. basically, the uh, like we're later going to talk about, the DNA causes proteins to be made, and those proteins are then pack uh, are then properly modified uh, modified by the Golgi apparatus, and then sent off. Yes, um, I believe there's even a s description of this. Um, yeah. Um, so the that's transport using vesicles, uh, but I guess we can already look at that a bit. So the endos uh, so proteins are synthesized by the ribosomes, and then enter uh, and then enter the rough endoplasmic triculum. So actually, never mind. I don't have to answer that question post. It's because they are able to right away enter the rough endoplasmic triculum. The vesicles then are able to um, butt off the ERs, uh, RER because. We're trying to keep them in a small space, right? Then the proteins, yeah. Mm -hmm. So they're not just like floating around somewhere. Um, and the thing is, and then the cytoskeleton, which are the microtubules of which are made of small microtubules uh, along the cell, then carry the uh, RER, uh, carry the uh, proteins, the the vesicles that came from the. Uh, RER along to the Golgi apparatus. The Golgi apparatus modifies them, and then the vesicles bud off the Golgi apparatus and carry the modified proteins to the plasma membrane. Also, I've realized I hope Mr. Dunn doesn't listen to this because, oh boy, he'll be disappointed when I'm not able to answer some of these questions. <laughs> um, so, then, um, yeah, that's the Golgi apparatus. Uh, um... Next on the list are lysosomes. So this is one of the... Uh, so here I can give one better example of why we want them to be membrane-bound. So lysosomes, they basically, they have a bunch of enzymes in them that are... So if you really didn't pay attention, enzymes are biological catalysts and, and they can help either build up things or break them apart. And they specific... Uh, and they're specifically referred to as a hydrolytic enzyme mixture. Hydrolysis being to split something apart while also creating water. Um, the idea is that uh, the lysosome um, can kill. That's basically... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, for example, when organelles are damaged, the lysosome can either kill the organelles or even the cell itself. And that's why we want them to be pack nicely packaged off so okay. that they can... so that they don't accidentally release uh, the enzymes mm -hmm. all over the cell and kill everything. They, uh, and they can also, I believe, be used to process pathogens. Yeah, um, they can be used to break down ingested food and vesicles or break down organelles in the cell or even the whole cell, to quote the book. Yeah. Um, then vesicles and vacuoles. I guess we already talked a bit about vesicles. Um, They're used to transport stuff. Yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> Then the uh, vacuole, da, 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 let's see where that is in my notes. 
again, I'm just making, like, I feel like I know this, but at the same time, I really want to make sure that I don't just uh, lava bullshit. Um, so, yeah, yeah, they basically, they help with the water potential. So um, that if we want more glucose to come in, we can make the water potential higher. So via osmosis, which we're going to talk about in a bit, um, the glucose is dragged in. <laughs> Um, and it also allows and also provides pressure. Mm -hmm. um, Do animal cells have vacuoles? They have contractile vacuoles, so ones that can. <laughs> Whoever is listening to this, if anyone is, won't be able to see Matilda's face right now. I will assure you, it's very nice. Um, questioning. Uh, but yeah, they have contractile vacuoles, meaning that they can either have it or not have it, can contract, as the name would suggest, um, it's not permanent. Meanwhile, plant cells have large permanent vacuoles. Um. We learned this in fifth grade. <laughs> um, then, we, uh, while this is where the study guide ends, I do have a couple more notes. On you forgot the mitochondrion, my dude. Ah, so now we're, talking we're, we're talking. We're talking about. Um, I'm gonna get to the nucleus mitochondrion and chloroplast in a bit. Okay. I wanna first also mention the cytoplasm. It's basically a fluid, but it can change its state to a gel-like texture, and it's filled with organic molecules. It's kind of boring. <laughs> and then the uh, cytoskeleton, which I alluded to earlier, um, they consist of the protein tubulin. Um, in case you needed to answer a question on examples of functions of proteins, those can come up quite a bit. Uh, and they're basically roads for intercellular transports. Yeah. What? Are they actually a skeleton for the cell? A cyto I, they're not like they're not a skeleton as you would think <laughs> of it. Like that makes it all jaggedy and stuff like that. It's again, it's more providing ways for the vesicles to transport. Nice. Like a like a vesicle transport highway. Sort of, yes. Nice. And the vesicles are the LKVs. Yes. And the ladung of the LKVs are proteins and other shit. Yes. <laughs> nice. Though to be fair, you have to... Uh, to be fair, if we carry that analogy further, that does imply um, that <laughs> factories are made of LKVs and the LKVs <laughs> butt off. I mean... <laughs> into... Um, yeah okay let's 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 stop that there um then the flagella and the cilia uh, we draw the flagella over here um they're normally just found in animal cells they flagella? have flagella like a tail yeah so like prokaryotes uh yes they, uh, both prokaryotes and eukaryotes can have a flagella For real Wild. okay <laughs> i mean they both have cytoplasm as well uh, they both have a cell membrane. Um, basically, they're important for mobility. And the cilia, they move in sliding pairs and have kind of a whip-like motion. <laughs> if anybody could see this right now, it's beautiful. Um, yeah, okay, but now we're getting to double membrane organelles. Let's start off with the nucleus. Fuck yeah. <laughs> It, it has a double membrane, but it also has controllable pores. So Do we have to mark this podcast now as explicit because we use swear words. <laughs> I don't think that will stop anyone from watching it. If it, it might even... it? Nobody's going to watch this. <laughs> um, I, th I think it might even encourage people. 
<laughs> oh yeah, true. So uh, yeah, it has controllable pores that can, um, yeah. Can I don't. Uh, yeah, the ba- yeah, basically you can. A foot. Um, my foot fell asleep. Um, but yeah, it, uh, that's why whenever you draw the nucleus, you'll always see it kind of drawn in like s- small little segments. St- segments, yeah. That's, that's how you describe that. And uh, it's filled with chromatin. Yes, exactly. Chrom- uh, what, when it's not replicate, when the cell's not replicating. Um, chromatin, it's basically just loose, untangled DNA just everywhere. Um, <laughs> and why does the nucleus have to have a double men- membrane? Um, well, that's actually a good question. Um, that's part of, that could be considered part of the endosymbiont theory, Mm. which we're going to get to in a bit. Um, Right. But uh, otherwise, like, I don't think the, um, reason for the double membrane is we don't, I don't think we need to know that one as much as we do for the mitochondria and the chloroplast. Um, the, uh, uh, they, they also have... Uh, a nucleolus for RNA um, and otherwise the functions are they store the genetic information, they produce ribosomes, messenger RNA, they organize the uncoiling and the replication of genes, they replicate chromosomes during cell division and they basically control all the me- uh, metabolism and replication um, then, and they also the DNA also has histones which are proteins that help in supercoiling we're going to get to that in a bit. Hell yeah. Um, then we have the mitochondrion and the chloroplast. We're not going to talk about too much detail. Basically, what you need to know is that they have a double, or they did have a double membrane, and the mitochondrion is responsible for the Krebs cycle and respiration, which we'll get to again in way too much detail way later on. Way too much detail. And the chloroplast responsible for photosynthesis. Uh, but basically, f- again, we'll talk about that more later. But right now, all we need to, uh, the, our mo- most important part is uh, how they relate to the endosymbiont theory. Yeah. So basically, the endosymbiont theory is the basic idea that uh, bacterial cells were captured by another, by a larger cell, and they formed a symbiotic relationship. They were basically like, hey, you're making energy for now. Hey, you're providing protection for me now. Great. How nice. Um, so Teamwork is the dream work. Makes the dream work. Ach ja, komm. Um, Team. Together everybody achieves more. And other cheesy quotes by former sports teachers. Mm. So, um, <laughs> some, so some of the support for this theory, because, you know, this is science, we need some support for theories, um, is that, for one, uh, there's double membranes. So, the main supports of this endosymbiont theory are the mitochondria, the chloroplast, the nucleus, it's there, but it's there, there's not everything matches up, but all of them have a dumbbell membrane, so check, check, check on that. Then the next part is 70S ribosomes. Remember prokaryotes, they have 70S ribosomes. Um, meanwhile, uh, and both the mitochondria and the chloroplast actually also have 70S ribosomes. The nucleus doesn't, it has ADS. Um, then the next part is a, sim- a single circular strand of naked DNA, which the mitochondria and the chloroplast both have. Cool. Um, but the nucleus has chromosomes, so again... Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh, size, they're between 5 and 10 micrometers, uh, which is similar to prokaryotes. Uh, and they can all self-replicate. 
which also important for prokaryotes. So that is the endosymbiont theory in a nutshell. However, you might have been our very attentive listeners, <laughs> all two of you, um, <laughs> might be wondering, wait, what about the cell membrane? Well, uh, thanks for asking. The cell, uh, the cell membrane, um, we need to know in a lot more detail than the rest. Uh, specifically, let's start with phospholipids. Phospholipids, they're basically, they have a phosphate head and a fatty acid tail. They're amphipathic, amphipathic, meaning that part of them is hydrophilic, part of them is hydrophobic. Hydrophilic meaning they like water, they want to be attracted to it, philic being to love, and uh, phobic, they don't want water, phobic being obviously to be scared of. Thinking of homophobic or um, xenophobic, arachnophobic, <laughs> you just don't like that. <laughs> yes, and hydro, water. If you don't know what hydro means at this point, it's very Your important. Um, okay. Then we're going to get more into what specifically fatty acids are in the uh, other, uh, in the, I guess, next part of this. Um, or I guess whenever we cover unit two. <laughs> uh, so we, the cell membrane structure went through a couple of iterations. So we had... First of all, we had Gorter and Grendel. They Do we need to know this? We don't need to know about Gorter and Grendel. They're, oh they, they're, they really just... All they found out is that when they did phospholipid extraction, they found that the number of phospholipids was twice that of what the actual circumference of the cell... Or the, oh. Not circumference, it's not a two-dimensional object. So they basically figured out, oh, they're probably in a bilayer. Yeah. And that's why whenever you draw a membrane, you should always draw the phosphate heads on the outside because they're the hydrophilic part. They want to be attracted to the water. Meanwhile, the tails being so... Uh, the fatty acids' tails being hydrophobic, they're hiding away, protected by the phosphate heads. The, the entire thing's a phospholipid. Mm -hmm. And that way they can, like, form, bu form bubbles. Wait, the, the tail are f uh, fatty acid tails. So, for yes. example, if you want to mix oil and water they're not gonna mix yes so they don't like each other yes think of it like that nice. um we don't need to know the name gorter grendel dafson and danielli you do want to know that one i've seen i've gone through a few past papers and sometimes they do ask specifically for dafson and danielli dafson and danielli um they made a new model they found out oh there's proteins oh boy um what they propose is that there's one layer of protein on top of the um, phospholipid bilayer. Um, yeah, they basically they found that they and they, they they had protein there, and they also showed that when they uh, when they used electron micro uh, micrographs, um, they showed it was like two dark lines. So they were like, oh, okay, obviously protein on both sides, easy. That, that was great. And then Singer and Nicholson came along, uh, ruining both their model and the tradition of all of these membrane people starting with the same initial. Um, so they came up with the fluid mosaic model. There's a couple reasons for why there were issues with the uh, idea of there's just being proteins on top of them. I believe it's... Is it also called the sandwich model? It doesn't say anywhere, but I feel like it should be. Um, 
so the fluid mosaic model, they basically said that, okay, there are some proteins on the outside, but A, it's not completely covered, and there's also proteins on the inside. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why the Daphson and Daniele model didn't work is, for one, they were uh, when f- doing freeze-edged micrographs, so basically they were freezing and then breaking them, um, and the problem is that you could see globular structures inside of the freeze-edged micrographs, mm. and that wouldn't make any sense if it was just an even layer of protein all around. So they figured out that there must be proteins in the membrane. Um, then they found out there were also hydrophobic proteins, which again doesn't make sense how can those proteins be hydrophobic if they're on top of the membrane and they also found that fluorescent antibody tagging so basically when they had two cells one they basically they made uh, put antibodies on it and they made them all red and then on another they made them all green and then they fused the cells together Um, after around 40 minutes they found that the antibodies they moved all around so they weren't only on that half and on that half, but suddenly they were all mixed up and jumbled up. And if everything was like static and all in one place, that would make no sense. Right. right. Okay, so now, um, at this point, uh, unless there's some secret biology that we don't get to learn in the DP because it's too complicated, uh, the fluid mosaic model is the kind of top model that we have at the moment. <laughs> the top model. Let's <laughs> see. The strangest spin-off of that show. Uh, <laughs> give us your scientific theories. Um, so, when uh, drawing the membrane structure, it's a question that you could be asked on an exam. It's, uh, but if you know how to do it, it's a pretty easy, like, probably solid six points or so. Um, so, for, uh, so, for one, obviously we have the phospholipid bilayer. That's still a thing. Um, we've got the phosphate heads on the outside, hydrophilic phosphate heads on the outside, fatty acid tails on the inside. Um, right now you probably want to pull up a picture of it, <laughs> otherwise this is not going to make too much sense. Um, then we then we also have... There's per- a good model of this on page 26. Well, just showing the phospholipid bilayer. Yeah, and probably if you scroll down a bit you'll find one of the... Nah, they just... Ah, yeah. On page 31. 31 of the textbook or on page 9 of the study guide. Or on... Okay, I don't remember the pages of my notes and you don't have access to those anyway. Um, Nobody could read your, your could read your writing anyway. So. Shush. Um, so we've got uh, integral proteins embedded in the layer. We've got some peripheral proteins on the surface of the membrane. Um, then we've got some uh, glycoproteins, which uh, have some sugars attached to them. Um, and they uh, on the outer surface of the membrane, so they kind of have the sugar sticking out. Um, and then there's also they can also be pump or channel proteins, which have to do with the transport of materials. Now another thing is cholesterol. Cholesterol we can find in membranes that it helps, and basically what it does is that it reduces the fluidity of the membrane. This is because it kind of makes, uh, so it's kind of a bit crooked and so thus it screws up the way that the membrane structure and kind of like puts a stone in that. So instead of like sliding neatly past it, there's suddenly this thing that's like stopping it. So it gets, uh, so it stops it being as fluid and it also reduces the permeability of the membrane. Hmm. Um, yeah. And so be- not all substances can go 
Exactly. And it's also important because we need to maintain concentration. We can't just have everything diffuse yeah. out of us. Um, then we also we, we want to know a couple of membrane proteins. Um, so, for example, we could have an insulin receptor, so a hormone receptor. Uh, we could have something for cell-to-cell -cell adhesion, so if we want things to stick together as one of our cells, the cadherin would be an integral protein for that. Then some can be used for electron transport, for example, cytochrome C, you learn yeah. all about that later. Um, or cytochrome oxidase would be an immobilized enzyme in the membrane itself. Um, nicotinic acetylcholine receptors. <laughs> we don't need to know that, do we? Uh, yeah, but it's just it's a receptor, and it's a, and it can also be the channel for facilitated fusion. And there's also active transport pumps for, for example, calcium. Um, and now. I know that we said that we wanted to keep these to 30 to 40 minutes. So I think this might have to be, we might not be able to get through the rest of um, yeah. chapter one. So I think um, this might be the end of our first episode. Uh, and then I guess the next episode will finish topic one. Hopefully we can talk about mitosis. We can talk about cell cycles and we can talk about transport in cells. Hell yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, to the one person listening right now, um, <laughs> thank you. I guess I don't know. Hopefully, this was somehow helpful. But otherwise, have a nice day. Have a nice day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ooh. <laughs>